Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How to Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Kathy LeMay, who is Director of Philanthropy at Amazon Watch. Hi, Kathy. Lovely to have you on the show. Hi, Leila. So good to be with you. So I guess we can first start off with an introduction as to who you are and perhaps an answer to the main question of the podcast, which is how do you do it and why should I care? Okay, good. So as you shared in the intro, I'm very lucky that I am director of philanthropy for an organization called Amazon Watch. And we work in solidarity with indigenous peoples throughout the Amazon basin to protect and defend the Amazon rainforest. And I have been doing global social change work for about 28 years. And I almost left it, Layla. I was at a point where I was like, I I think I've got to go and get a break and get some rest. And when Amazon watched approach me, I I couldn't imagine a better place to be. Um, So that is a a bit of my background and what I'm currently doing. And did you want me to answer the how should I do it? And why should all of your wonderful listeners care about that? Yes, if you wouldn't mind. (laughs) You got it. So um, how did I do it? I, I would say when I was kind of early 80s in this tiny little mill town that I grew up in Massachusetts. And I saw all this stuff that seemed profoundly and deeply unfair and just not the way the future of the world should be going, in particular, seeing the way women and children were treated in all parts of the world. And I remember being quite young, nine, 10 years old, And I was saying everything I thought was wrong. And my mom looked at me and said, well, that's all well and good, but what are you going to do about it? And she took all of this kind of um, built up angst and made sure I directed it. And pretty early on, I found activism and I just did that. And I did that. And I have to tell you in my, I did that all throughout college. I think I got an F in astronomy because I never went because it was always a meeting of people. a a student group that I needed to be at. So I failed astronomy, but I remember people saying there's no future in, in working in social change. You have to go out, get a good career, make a lot of money, and then you can do things like give money and serve on boards. And I thought, I don't, I don't think so. I think the whole world is going to wake up to that change has to happen and it has to happen sooner rather than later. But it was this funny arc, Layla, in my 20s, I would tell people what I would do and they look at me and say, do you get health insurance with that? What is that even? Because I did a lot of work around um, HIV AIDS care. Um, And and then I did a lot of work um, during the war in Bosnia and after it, and then working and supporting particularly women in post-war, post-genocide areas. And then in my 30s, people would say, God, it's so cool what you do. I could never do that. And I remember thinking, what happens with women that we immediately opt out of an area that we feel passionate about and what has us say, I'm not equipped, I'm not skilled. And so I was lucky enough then to mentor a lot of women who wanted to get in global social change and figure out what was their best right role. And then in my forties, people saying to me, you know, how do I really leave the career I got in and step into working in social change? How do I take the skills I have? And I was able to work with a bunch of folks to do that. So why should you care? Um, I'm not sure you should care so much about me because I'm not so relevant as what I'm grateful that I did. So I could write a book on the mistakes I made, but it'd be a long book to read y'all, long book because I've made a lot of them. 
But the parts I got right is every time someone tried to talk me out of being in social change, I paused and said, but do they, are they living the life that I'm interested in? That's so inspirational. And you can clearly convey the passion that you have for this area that you've had since a very young age. So that's really awesome to hear. And obviously, social change is a constantly evolving area. And I'm sure you can't learn it in a book or, you know, even read up about very much about it online. So I guess, what were your best resources that really helped you along your journey? You know, you mentioned that you were working with HIV patients, and now you're working Uh, And then you were working with women who survived genocide. So I'm really curious as to how did you access those resources? Yeah. So I would say that one of the keys in life absolutely seems to be show up, even if you don't know what to do. Mm. So I remember being, so was living in Seattle um, and I was working for a University of Washington professor, helping her write a book on women in war. And this is when the siege in Bosnia broke out. And I remember thinking, I can't believe what's happening to women. And what can I do? And quite honestly, people said, there's there's not a lot you can do. You can just hope it gets better and you can pray. And I thought, well, I just, I don't want to be an, an, an old aging lady one day and have a young generation look at me and say, what did you do? And I say, I hoped. I didn't want that to be the response. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I just started showing up at places where people were talking about it. And you go to enough rooms and you listen. And my advice, really, don't worry about, well, how do I figure out my role? We get a little ahead of ourselves. I would just go sit in lectures, the State Department, nonprofit organizations, women who have gone to Bosnia, and I would listen. And my friend calls it athletic listening. She's like, Kat, I'm listening so hard, I'm sweating. (laughs) Listen, and I would take notes, and I would say, what's jumping out at me? And then I remember just going... And it's been so long. So I think I went online, but I might have gone to a library because I'm that age where I'm not so sure there was that much internet yet. And I read everything. Why is this war happening here and why now? Why are women being used in this way? And slowly I realized and started finding my place. And I found a women's organization in Bosnia and I sent them a fax because this was before cell phones and all of that. Mm-hmm. And they said, if you come here to volunteer, can you also bring us some supplies and vitamins and infant formula? And I realized I can do that. And I had enough of an education about the area that when I went to businesses and said, would you donate? It wasn't coming out of nowhere. I said to them, here's what's happening there and we can help and make a difference. And then I traveled to there, but I would never, the first time I heard about it, I could never have imagined going to a war touring country by myself at 23, but it was taking the small incremental steps. And then suddenly what my role was opened up to me. That's really, really inspiring. And you're so brave for going to like a war-torn country at the age of 23, just not knowing like what to expect. So that's that's amazing. Um, and um, obviously you mentioned that, you know, you read up a lot about this in libraries and um, you tried your best. You were really a go-getter to try and find out as much information as you could. But I'm curious, were there any lessons that you wish you would have known just before you even joined the field of social change or embarked yeah. on your career journey? Yeah, those are great questions. So one, the great thing about being 23 is that I just didn't see limitations. And so, right, I and when I see young people at 
working in activism now and someone says, oh, no, no, their ideas are way too out there. They're way too pie in the sky. And I say, you do know that they're designing the future mm. and their courage and their bravery is what the rest of the world actually needs. And so the first one thing that I want to say is no matter what age you are, please don't sell yourself short. Don't let anybody say you're too young. You don't know what's going on. I think that you're just a mirror for them. And if you're my age or older, you, you haven't opted out yet of being able to contribute and your wisdom and your experience, there's a role there. Um, what do I wish I had known? Um, I think I wish, uh, one, the personal is that I wish I hadn't, uh, I wish I had a little more confidence in me. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking, well, I shouldn't be here. I would be in, suddenly in rooms with like leaders of state departments and heads of state and think, oh, no, no. If they knew, if they knew how I grew up and what my background was, and then they might, they might, I'd be found out and kicked out. I wish I hadn't doubted myself as much as I had. Um, I would have, in, in that, that lack of sense of deep worth, I would have asked more questions to learn more. I didn't want to seem like I didn't know enough, so I didn't ask enough. And I would have been more effective if I asked more, but I was so worried that people would say, how do you not already know that, right? Mm -hmm. So that sense of um, that you belong in these rooms, I'm just thinking it now at 51, and on some days I still think I don't. And so my hope would be to know that rooms aren't, for your listeners to know that rooms aren't designed for a set group of people. I remember once sitting across from this absolutely wonderful woman who was working in the same field as me, but grew up very different than me economically. And I remember she said to me, oh, Kathy, where did your family summer? And I'm having a full-blown panic attack going, summer's a verb? <laughs> what do I do now? And I thought, um, we. how do I say we didn't, right? I, there, that didn't happen. Like we all, y'all, we didn't have any money. There was no camp. There was no vacations. We just hung out in the neighborhood. I wish I weren't as embarrassed by that. I wish that I hadn't hoped that wasn't there. So I would say in my early years, um, ask a lot of questions and say to people, it's possible I should know this, but I don't. So can I ask you about it and learn from you and know that that's a sign of a great leader and it took me years to figure that out. Thank you for that advice. That is super, super useful advice, especially for our listeners and for those who are starting out in their career. And um, you made me laugh a little earlier because you mentioned that you could write a whole book about the mistakes that you've made. But I'm curious, what would you say was the biggest failure of, in your career and what did you learn from it? Mm, biggest failure in my career. It's you should hear in my head right now. It's like an index card of things popping up going this failure. this failure, this failure. And I might actually write about it because when you do have some successes in life, I think there is an assumption that you didn't fall on your face about 100,000 times. I would say the time in my career where I lost my way. And when I lost my way is there were there was some realization that some knowledge currency I had gained over the course of my time in social change could be turned into financial currency. And I let that take the reins for a while. And I got 
very, very far away from the values that drive my decisions. And I got lost in that. And I suddenly was in rooms and doing work that if I really took a step back, I was, I thought, this isn't what I meant Mm. when I was a kid growing up. This is not what I meant, but it was, um, it was pretty alluring because there were big dollar signs being put in front of me. And I thought, think of what I could do for my mom and my family members. And I, you know, had this sense of, have I actually made it? If this amount of money is being put in front of me, is this what it means to make it? And for a period of time, I thought it was. I'm not saying that's not true for everyone's road. And I think it's brilliant when women go out and bring in the capital that they deserve. It's just not the right road for me. Mm. And I got really lost. And I had a dear friend say to me, "Um, this doesn't seem like you. And it took me a while to come back. And, um, but I'm, I'm glad I had that detour because now I'll never wonder, should I have gone the private capital route? I'll never now wonder, um, because I traveled that little yellow brick road for a bit and it it just wasn't the road for me. I'm glad you did have that realization and you can Mm -hmm. look back at your life saying that I have no regrets. At least I took that road and I knew that it's not for me. So Mm -hmm. that's completely valid. Um, and you touched on this a little earlier, but what is one common myth about your field that you would like to debunk about the social change uh, field? Oh, yeah. What's a good common myth? There's so many. There's so many myths. Um, that people in social change um, have are are inherently naive versus that they're inherently hopeful. Mm. And you can be smart and aware and educated and learned about issues, even wrapped in some cynicism, and still know that there's hope on the other side of that. Um, Over the years, people saying to me, you know, that's never going to change, thinking that they were a critical thinker. And I said to someone once, I'm not so sure you're a critical thinker as much as you're very critical. And, And I said, Folks in social change believe there's something on the other side of what we're in Mm -hmm. and always holding that is a brilliant author, Arundhati Roy, who says, um, not only is another world possible on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. And I think people in social change can seem to the outside world angry or discontent or um, criti- or critical of others, and but what's really underneath all of that is a profound sense of hope. Mm. That's really that's really profound, and thank you for clearing up that myth for all of our listeners out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you're very busy because you're obviously director of philanthropy. But I'm curious, what have you read or listened to in your free time that's really inspired you? Oh my goodness, these are such great questions, Layla. Thank you for such good questions. Um, I what have I recently read that I love? I have to say, I there's two books that I have read. See No Stranger by Valerie Carr. Mm-hmm. Um, I really recommend, if you don't know Valerie, your listeners, please look her up. She has something called the Revolutionary Love Project. And Valerie holds on to this sense of people's greatness, even when you think it's not there. She says it is there. And that no one um, is a stranger. They are literally a neighbor you're waiting to meet. 
and she invites us into something much bigger than ourselves. And and then the other is that I love running. Love it, love it, love it. I'm minorly obsessed with it. And I recently reread a book called Born to Run. And it is a book that makes me realize um, what we're all capable of, even when you tell yourself, mm, maybe I can't quite do that next marathon. And then you read it and I go, let's run this puppy. So um, I'm so grateful to those authors. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. And you kind of touched upon a few influential people in your life a bit earlier, but I'm curious, who are the three people in your life who have been the most influential to you? Most influential people? Um, I would say most influential are people for me who almost sprayed Windex over my eyes and got me to see things clearly in a way I wasn't seeing them before. I would say a gentleman I met years ago who was uh, a dear personal friend and a lawyer to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. And at lunch, this is me attempting to eat lunch and I can't swallow because I'm so nervous and excited to be in his presence. And he talked to me about movement building and the surprises that await you if you have faith. And he said, we never could have guessed in the civil rights movement how many white allies we had in the South until we had faith. And he broke open for me that everyone is a potential ally um, and your job is to give them a chance and not make a decision about them beforehand. So for him, for sure. Um, and I would say... Number two and three slot don't go to individual people because they go to the grassroots women leaders that I've worked with throughout the world that will never be on social media. No one will ever know about them. They won't get buildings named after them. And yet they literally did the right thing every single day, not for personal gain. Um, that is in Bosnia, in Rwanda, in Uganda, in Mexico City, in my own backyard. Um, it's watching grassroots women leaders lead with profound integrity and humility. Um, reminded me that sometimes I had gotten a little bit arrogant when I had some success and I remembered them the most. Fantastic. And finally, to sort of round off our conversation, what is one piece of advice that you wish you gave yourself at any point in your life? So advice I wish I had given myself that I give my try. And, um, I would, I would say, uh, try not to get in your own way. <laughs> Most days I go, here's the personal goal today. Do not get in your own way. And what I mean by that is all the self doubt and the hurdles that you put in front of yourself and how hard most women are on ourselves. I would have given myself a break a couple of times along the way and said, so you had a hard road. It doesn't define you. And what I recognize in a lot of women is we very easily give other women so much room to discover and explore. Mm -hmm. And our expectations of ourselves usually do not include discovery, exploration, learning, falling down, getting back up again. And what I wish... I had said to myself a long time ago is um, you will fall, but you'll get up, but you will fall. And it's not a life sentence. Oh, so lovely. And what a lovely note to end on. Thank you so much, Kathy, for taking the time to speak with me today. I truly enjoyed our really engaging conversation.
My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. Bye-bye.